Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians this morning, Galatians chapter number 2. That song's entitled, His Robes for Mine, and it reminds us of the, the trade that was made when we trust Christ as our Savior. He takes all of our sin, and in exchange, He gives us all of His righteousness. And that is only possible because He not only died for our sins, but He was buried and He rose again. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. This morning I'd like to preach to you a message entitled, Living in Light of the Resurrection. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we consider the implication of the resurrection for our daily living this morning, and also the impact that it has on our eternal destiny. I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would be able to understand what your word says, that you would teach us, Lord, what we need to know, and change us how we need to be changed. That we might know for sure that our sins are forgiven, and that we might know, might grow in Christ's likeness more and more. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when a person trusts the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, many, many amazing things happen. In fact, it's so amazing, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that old things are passed away and all things are become new. A person's life completely changes when they get saved. And among the amazing things that happen is the fact that when you are saved, you identify with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul said it this way in the verse we just read. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Now, Paul did not literally hang on the cross with Jesus at the same time that Jesus was hanging there. But rather what he was saying is that he identified with that death on the cross. That the death of Christ on the cross meant for Paul that he had died. Part of him had died. You see, when we identify with the death of Jesus Christ through salvation, we become dead to sin. We become dead to the law. Those things no longer have any power over us anymore. But thankfully, we do not only identify with the death of Christ. We also identify with His resurrection. Because when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are given a new life. We are given eternal life. 
And with that, we are given the ability and the power to be what God wants us to be because Christ dwells in us, the source of our spiritual life. Too often we forget to forget that fact that as Christians, Christ is living in us. And as Paul said, the life that we live now, we don't live by the flesh and in the power of the flesh, but we live by faith in the Son of God. We shouldn't walk in the flesh. We shouldn't follow sinful influences. We should live by faith. Moment by moment, we need to choose to believe that Christ is everything we need to be what God wants us to be. I want to keep it very simple this morning. Looking at just this one verse of Scripture, breaking it down into three simple parts to understand how that we can live not just on Easter Sunday, but every single day of the year in light of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice number one, the crucifixion. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. The moment that we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are joined with Him spiritually so that we get all the benefits of what Jesus has done for us. And one of the things that Jesus did for us is that He died on the cross for us. So when we trust Him, that means that all of the benefits of Christ's death on the cross become ours. And today being Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have to remember that if it weren't for the crucifixion, the resurrection couldn't have come after. The crucifixion was the first step. When Jesus willingly laid down His life for you and for me. His death on the cross paid the penalty of sin so that you and I could be saved. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to die on a cross? Why couldn't He have died in another form or fashion? Why was it a cross that Jesus had to die on? Well, in Galatians chapter 2, there's a, a, a statement here that explains to us why Jesus had to die on a cross. It says, that cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. Jesus Christ not only took the curse of our sin, but he literally became the curse of our sin by dying on the cross for us. The crucifixion was one of the worst forms of execution ever invented. The Romans prided themselves on not only how they executed people, but how they tortured them leading up to that execution. The story of Jesus' crucifixion, as recorded in the Bible, paints a picture of one of the most brutal tortures and inhumane treatments imaginable. It all began shortly after His arrest. The night before He was crucified, He had gone to the garden to pray, and there in the garden He prayed three times, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In the middle of the night, a mob of men came to the garden led by one of Jesus' disciples. His name was Judas Iscariot. For 30 pieces of silver, he had agreed to betray the Son of God to the religious leaders who wanted to kill him. He comes to the garden with this mob of men to arrest Jesus, and the Bible says that he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. 
That was the signal to the men, this is the guy to arrest. This is the supposed Messiah. They arrested the Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew 26 tells us that they took him for a series of mock trials. And during those mock trials, the physical abuse began. It says in Matthew 26, 67, they did spit in his face and buffeted him. Others smote him with the palm of their hands. Luke twenty two sixty four. and when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him saying, prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And so they began to, to beat the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to, to hit him and to slap him around and to mock him saying, who is it that's hitting you? And after a brief trial, as it were, before Pilate. The Bible tells us that Pilate had him scourged by the Roman soldiers. A Roman scourging was one of the most brutal punishments imaginable. The victim would be tied to a a post or a, a pillar with their hands around it like this so that their back would be stretched tight. And a Roman soldier would come up with a device known as a cat of nine tails. It was a whip with nine strands of of leather, and in that leather was embedded bits of metal and glass and rock. And every time the soldier would bring the whip across the back of the victim, all of that would sink into the skin, and then it would be raked across his back, leaving nine gouges every single time. We have no idea how many times Jesus was, was hit with that whip, But they tell us, according to history, that many times victims didn't even survive a scourging. By the time Jesus was done with the scourging, his torso would have been totally raw and bloodied. A short while after they scourged him, the Bible says that they stripped him of his clothes and in mockery they put a purple robe on him. And then they formed a crown of thorns, not Not little bitty thorns like we have around here, but these thorns that grow in the land of Israel, inch and a half, two inches long and as hard as nails. They put that on his head, again, mocking his claim to be the king of the Jews. If he's a king, we'll give him his royal garments. Here's your robe of purple. Here's your crown made of thorns. And then the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, They stripped him and they put on him a scarlet robe and when they plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they'd mocked him, they took the robe from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. But in addition to the physical abuse that Jesus endured, there was also the emotional and mental anguish that He endured. Sometimes we forget about that, that it wasn't just the fact that He was physically abused and beaten and tortured. But He knew everything that would lie ahead before it ever happened, and He had to endure all of the mockery and all of the betrayal. For instance, Pilate offered to release Jesus after He scourged Him. He didn't really understand why the Jews wanted Jesus dead so much. And so he said, I'll tell you what, why don't you let me release him? Since at the feast every year I release one prisoner, why don't I release the king of the Jews? Let's just let him go. We've beaten him. He's bloodied. He's he's been punished. And you know what the crowd said? 
Give us Barabbas. Who was Barabbas? Barabbas was a murderer. He'd been guilty of insurrection. He'd been imprisoned. And they said, no, release Barabbas. We would rather have a murderer than this man who says he came to give his life for us. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the, the, the audacity, the callousness, the cold-heartedness of those people? That's what Jesus endured. After all of this, He was then forced to carry His own cross. In Mark chapter 15, And when they had mocked Him, they took off the purple from Him and put His own clothes on Him and led Him out to be crucified. And they compel one, Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country and father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which being interpreted is the place of the skull. Jesus' physical body was so broken and drained that he could not even carry his cross all the way up. And somebody had to carry it for him. That's just a glimpse of what happened before he ever even got to the hill of Calvary. There when he got to the hill, they would have finished attaching him to the cross by putting nails through his his hands and his feet and then the cross was stood up and dropped into a hole. And there Jesus hung. And as he hung there, The torture continued as he was thirsty, as he was in pain, and as they mocked him, and and as he experienced something on the cross for us that we can't even really understand fully. Because there came a point where Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it was in that moment that the Lord Jesus Christ was becoming sin. He became sin for us. And God is too holy for sin to dwell in His presence. And so there came a moment of separation. And Jesus endured that for you and for me. So that we would never have to endure another moment of separation from God. And Jesus did all of this. But it was not only to save us from the eternal penalty of sin which is death and hell. But Jesus did this to save us from the power that sin has over us right now. Turn to Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles. I want to show you another place where Paul talked about the death of Christ and what it means for the believer. Christ's death is of the utmost importance for us to be saved because it's through His death that He paid the penalty for our sin and the holiness and the justness of God could be satisfied. But it's not only for the payment of our sin debt, but Jesus' death also means that we are freed from the power of sin right now. Romans chapter 6, verse number 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? The baptism here is not speaking of the physical act of being baptized in water, but the spiritual baptism that we receive at the moment of salvation. We are placed in Christ. 
He says, when we believed, we were baptized into his death. Now look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. What does Paul mean when he says, my old man is crucified with Christ? Some people will somewhat disrespectfully refer to their father as their old man. But that's not what he's talking about. What Paul is referring to is his, his former way of living, his former self, if you will. He's talking about that part of him that was completely controlled by sin. He says, my old man is crucified with Christ. It's crucified with him. The old man, that part of us that, that was controlled by sin... Our sin nature, if you want to call it that. That part of us that can do nothing but sin has died. Every human being is born with that nature. We are born dead in sins. But when we trust Christ as our Savior, that sin nature is crucified with Christ so that it no longer has any control over our life. Sin nature's absolute control is killed. It's put to death. When you trust Jesus, what does that mean? It means you no longer have to sin. The devil can't make you do anything if you're a believer. You are freed from sin. And just like Jesus died to sin once so that he could live forevermore to the glory of God, you and I are dead to sin. We don't owe sin anything. Sin has no control over us. And so when we are faced with the temptation to sin, we can say, I don't have to do that. And we can choose by the grace of God to do what is right. Galatians 5.24 says, They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. It's strange to think, but at the moment you accepted Christ as your Savior, you simultaneously died and received eternal life. You died to sin, and you received eternal life in Christ. Before salvation, sin and Satan told you what to do, and you did it, because that was your nature, but not anymore since you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Sin's control has been killed. And so living in light of the resurrection actually starts by living in light of the crucifixion, by realizing that I don't have to sin. Christ died not only to save me from the penalty, but also from the power of sin over my life. Before you can appreciate the resurrection power of Christ and for it to do its full work in your life, you must understand what His death means. It means you do not have to sin anymore. You're dead to sin. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. But then I want you to notice, secondly, the resurrection here. He says, Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Yes, part of you died when you trusted Christ as your Savior. That sin nature was put to death. And in its place, you received eternal spiritual life. You received the life of Christ. The life that He gives to all those who place their faith in Him. And that only makes sense 
if Christ rose from the dead. If Christ had died only and gone into the grave and stayed there, we might look back on his life and say, you know, he was a good man. He taught some wonderful things. He really had some stuff figured out. If we follow his teachings, maybe things will be a little bit better for us. But if that was all Christ had done, if he had only died, we would still be hopeless and we would still be helpless. It is the resurrection that makes all the difference in the world. Because many have died for noble causes, but only the Lord Jesus Christ rose again. Throughout the course of history, many have have risen to lead great religious uh, movements. But then they died, and you can visit their tombs today. And there would you would find the remains of a, of a Joseph Smith. You would find the remains of a Muhammad. And you would find the remains of many, many other great religious leaders. But you know what happens if you go to visit the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ today? You know what you find? Nothing. It still stands to this day as a testament to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ did not just die for our sin, but He was buried and He rose again. And the significance of that is that not only does it prove that He's God, but it also proves that He has eternal life to give. You cannot give someone something that you yourself do not possess. And so when Jesus said in John chapter 10, For example, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That only makes sense if Jesus rose from the grave. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus says, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. That is is the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection is the most important event in history. I know that our calendar has been set based upon the birth of Christ, as best as we can estimate. We have A.D. and B.C. But I submit to you that if it were not for the resurrection, the birth of Christ and the death of Christ would have meant nothing. The resurrection is the most important event in history. Without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, His claim to be God the Son would be false. His death on the cross would have been worthless. And the gospel message would be a lie. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about the importance of the resurrection. And it says in verse 14, If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Without the resurrection, the gospel is a lie. It's false. Because what is the gospel? It is the message that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. When we share the gospel, we have to be certain that we share the entire message. Don't leave Jesus on the cross, and don't leave Jesus in the tomb. 
Because Jesus did not just die and he was not just buried. He also rose again. And without that resurrection, the gospel is false. And that then means that our faith in the gospel would be absolutely pointless. Because if you're believing a lie, it's not going to do you any good. The resurrection proves two very important truths. First of all, it proves that Jesus Christ is God. Because only God could lay down His life and take it up again. Only God could do that. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Only God can do that. God is the giver of life. Back in, cre- in Genesis 2, we have the record of creation. It says that God breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. Life comes from God. And so for Jesus to willingly lay down His life and then to take it up again proves that He's God. But not only does it prove that He's God, it proves that He has eternal life to offer you and to me. Why is that so significant anyway? What is it, why, why do we need eternal life? Because without eternal life, our future is eternal death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And that death is not just physical death. But the Bible refers to the second death. In Revelation 21 and verse 8, Revelation 20 verses 14 and 15, both of them talk about a spiritual separation from God in a place called hell, and it's called the second death. That eternal death is what we deserve for our sin. And unless we receive eternal life in its place, we are doomed to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And let me just explain something to you about eternal life. Eternal life means you have it forever. Why is that important? Because there are some people that do not believe that you necessarily have eternal life forever. Some people teach that you can lose it or you can give it back or somehow after having received eternal life, not have it. Well, that's a contradiction of terms. That's that's more like what a company would do in selling you a product and saying it has a lifetime warranty. A lifetime, whose lifetime? Mine or the lifetime of the tool or what? You know, that's basically like saying we promise this tool will work until it doesn't. Unfortunately, some people think that way about salvation. It's eternal life as long as you have it, but once you lose it, you don't have it anymore. It's not eternal. Then it's not eternal. If it lasts forever, then it lasts forever. I'm just simple enough to believe that. I'm just simple enough to believe the words of Jesus when He said that those that He gives eternal life to, they shall never perish. He gives eternal life, and from that we get eternal security. Some people claim that eternal security can be misconstrued as an excuse to sin. Well, I can do whatever I want because I'm I'm saved. I'm not going to lose my salvation, so I'll just go out and live however you want. 
The doctrine of eternal security does not lead to that kind of living. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That's foolishness to think that way. On the other hand, Titus chapter 2 says that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. No, the doctrine of eternal security is a motive for living righteously. If God has saved us from all of our sin forever, then it only makes sense we stay away from that sin. We've been given eternal life. This gift of eternal life is given to all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Verses 11 through 13 give us a great explanation, very simple map laid out for us, how we can know that we have eternal life. Verse 11, 1 John 5, 11, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life life. So pause for just a moment here to summarize what the Bible is saying is that God has given us eternal life in Christ. So how do you know if you have eternal life? You have eternal life if you have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. If you don't have eternal life, then what do you have? Eternal death. Death or life, those are the only two options. There are no spiritual zombies somewhere in the middle. Okay? So either you have the Son and you have life, or you do not have the Son and you do not have life. So understanding that much, there's an important question to answer. How do we know if we have the Son? If having the Son means we have life, how do we know that we have the Son? That's verse 13. These things that I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. There it is right there. How do we have the Son and thus have eternal life? By believing on His name. Having faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you know you have eternal life. It's not something you earn. It's not something that through your good works you can somehow merit. It is by grace through faith. The resurrection is so important because through it we know that we can have eternal life and that eternal life is ours when we trust Christ as our Savior, when we have faith in Him. You know, some people complicate the idea of faith and some people in their teaching turn faith into some kind of a work. That's not the Bible idea of faith. Faith is not complicated. It's simply believing in God. Doubt and skepticism are the opposite of faith. 
We must believe that God is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And it is through faith that we receive the gift of salvation. It is through faith that after salvation, we are to walk and we are to live. And the specific faith that we need is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ particularly. Romans 10.9 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Faith in the resurrection. A person who has never placed their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has not yet been saved. Now, I'm not expecting a person to understand all the ins and outs and all the details, but it's not just enough that, to believe that Jesus was a good man and that He died. That's only part of the story. He also rose again and He's alive forevermore. The resurrection is absolutely vital to the gospel message. For the Christian, it means that not only have we been set free from sin, but also now we have been given a new life in Christ. Listen to these verses from Romans chapter 6. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what the resurrection means for us. Is that we have life in Christ because Christ is in us. That's what Paul said, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Before salvation, a person is powerless to live for God and to serve God. But after salvation, we have Christ in us, enabling us to be what God wants us to be. So what is number three here? I want you to note with me the ramification of it. We've seen the crucifixion. We've seen the resurrection. What is the ramification? Just to review, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. That means when we trust Christ, we are baptized into His death. We died with Him so that sin has no more control over us. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ liveth in me. We are dead to sin, but we are alive through Christ. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, Paul says, I live by the faith of the Son of God. How do we take the truth of the, of the resurrection and let it change the way we live every day? By living by faith. That's how we do it. In the Bible, there there are two basic options that are given to the Christian of how we're going to live our lives. We can either live our life by faith, and that is a life of obedience, a life of following God's plan and doing what God tells us to do, or we can live by the flesh. 
And the idea of the flesh there means the natural tendency we have to still sin. Because we all still are affected by sin to some degree. We are tempted to sin. And though its power over us has been broken, we do not have to sin anymore. We can still choose to sin. And so the question is, are we going to live by the flesh or are we going to live by faith? Are we going to do the things that we want to do or are we going to do what God tells us to do? We are supposed to live by faith. That's what Paul said here, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Yes, I am physically alive, but I am not living according to the desires of my flesh. I'm not living according to the impulses of my flesh. I'm not doing whatever I feel like doing. I am living by faith. And that faith must be in Christ. That He lives in us and that He will work through us. The power to live as God wants us to live comes from Christ. It does not come through your own willpower. It does not come through your own force of habit. You can set up all of the programs and and all of the systems and have all of the goals that you want that are all good and lofty and religious sounding, but unless you are walking by faith in Christ, you can never be what God wants you to be. Turn over to the book of John, chapter 15. John chapter 15, look with me at verses 4 and 5. This is Jesus speaking, and He said, Abide in Me. John 15 verse 4, Abide in Me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in Me. I am the vine, Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Now I want you to say that last phrase from John 15, 5 with me. Ready? For without me ye can do nothing. What can we do without Christ? Nothing. Nothing. The illustration he gives here is a branch and a vine. What happens if you cut a branch off a tree and lay it on the ground? What's going to happen to that branch? It's going to, it's going to wither. It's not going to grow. If it was an apple tree, it's not going to bloom. Apple blossoms. It's not going to produce apples. It's going to wither. It's going to die. Jesus said, just like that branch cannot continue to thrive without staying connected to the vine, you as a follower of Christ cannot thrive independent of Christ. You can't go through your life just doing whatever you feel like doing, living however you want to live, following the impulses of your flesh and this the desires of your heart, this Hollywood nonsense, do what your heart tells you kind of living... You can't live that way and and thrive. It doesn't work. We have to stay connected with Christ by faith. 
Why should we do it? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. That's why. That's what Paul said. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is all the motivation we need to live how God wants us to live right there. These people that think that God sent His Son to die on the cross for us so that we could be healthy and wealthy, totally missing the point. God didn't send His Son Jesus to die on the cross so you could be a billionaire. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins, not only for eternity in the future, but right now, to save you from the power of your sins so that you could live how God wants you to live. And yes, a life of righteousness results in blessing. But that doesn't mean you're going to be a millionaire or billionaire. Don't know what, I don't know what God's plan for you is regarding your income, but I do know this. Whether you're a millionaire whether you're living from paycheck to paycheck, the only motivation you really need to live for God is the fact that He loved you and gave Himself for you. That's why Romans 12:1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It only makes sense. If Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again for you so that you could have eternal life, it only makes sense to use your life for Him. That is our motive. To live for God. So how do we live in light of the, of the resurrection? Well, first of all, we need to understand the crucifixion. That not only did Christ die to save us from our sins eternally... He also died to save us from the power of sin right now. That means that if you're saved, you do not have to sin. You can do what is right. You need to remember the resurrection. That Jesus didn't just die, but He rose again. And that in Christ, now you have a new life. That means the ability to do what is right. To honor God. To live for Him. And it's up to you and to me then to make the choice to live by faith, not according to the desires of our flesh. To live in righteousness and not in sin. We should celebrate the resurrection every single day. I like Easter. I don't like all of the commercialization of it. It bugs me that people who don't even believe in God make, make a big deal of Easter just so that they can sell a bunch of candy and little marshmallow ducks that taste like detergent. But I like Easter because it's an opportunity for us to remember on a formal occasion the fact that Jesus Christ not only died, but was buried and rose again. But Easter and the resurrection of Christ is not something that we should just remember one day of the year. Every single day that we live, 
we ought to live by faith in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in His power, choose not to sin, but to serve God. With heads bowed and eyes closed this, this morning. It's possible that there's somebody here today even though you've come to church this morning and maybe you've been in church a lot in your life. Maybe you've heard the gospel, you've heard the Bible taught. But it's possible that you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And as we have discussed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, The Lord has brought it to your attention in your own heart and mind that you're not truly saved. I want to tell you this morning, God wants you to be saved from your sin today. So much so that He sent His Son Jesus nearly 2,000 years ago, to be born, to live, to die, and then to rise again so that you could be saved. And all you have to do is place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if there has never been a point in your life where you made the choice to call upon the Lord in faith and trust Jesus to save you from your sins. You can do that right now. The Bible says that there is, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is only through Jesus, friend. Only through Jesus can you be saved. You might be trusting in your church membership. You might be trusting in your baptism. You might be trusting in your good works, but none of those things will save you. Only Jesus can save you. And I want to invite you to trust Him right now. Right there where you sit. No music playing. Nobody looking around. Just between you and God. You can trust Christ as your Savior. What that means is, it means you have to talk to God. You have to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You have to say to God in prayer, if not verbally and not out loud vocally, but in your heart, you can say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I deserve to die and go to hell for my sin. But I believe that Jesus died in my place was buried and rose again and I'm trusting Him to save me from my sin. If you've never done that, I want to invite you right now in the quietness of this moment to go to God and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior.